Um, good morning. Okay, as Eddie said, the Bible readings from John 6, 1 to 35. It should be in the screen behind you. Um, okay, so it's John 6, 1 to 35. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of, of, of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming up towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for himself, knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not be buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of these disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving, that, uh, perceiving then that, the, uh, they, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd had remained on the other side of the sea, saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got themselves into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Alan, for that Bible reading. Please um, keep your Bibles open. Um, let me start off by asking you, how are you doing this morning? Fine. So after I get past fine and I ask you how the weather, you can tell me. So uh, normally when we ask people how they're doing, we kind of get stuck at, at fine, isn't it? So uh, I'm going to ask you something uh, really important to do, and... That is just to drop your guard for a moment. Uh, maybe just be honest with yourself in your own heart 
and ask that question again to yourself. How, how are you doing? Um, how are you doing today, maybe the last month, the last week? I think a lot of us are like ducks, 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 ducks on a pond. You know how ducks work? Above the water, it's near, nice and calm and gentle. Under the water, those little feet are going frantically. Is that the description of you? You know, you're, you're sitting here, you look nice, everybody looks like they're dressed, everybody looks fine, yes, I think so. Under the water, there must have been a lot of frantic things going. Um, is your life maybe just going through the motions? Uh, maybe you are getting up, you are eating, you're going to work, going to sleep, and then just putting repeat on again. Is that your description of your life? I know some of us are going on holiday. Some of us have come back from holiday. Maybe you're just tired. You're so tired that no holiday is helping anymore. Um, You're probably bone tired or that kind of tiredness has crept into your soul. If you're a Christian here this morning, your walk with the Lord might have been suffering because of this. Um, You think to yourself... You doubt, you think to yourself, I haven't read my Bible. I can't even remember when is the last time I read my Bible, even prayed. Um, That kind of doubt, that pain in your heart is moving you to fear, fear, even maybe despair. Um, But you're still putting on a brave face. You're still on the outside looking really brave, like you got everything together, like that duck on the pond. But... There's cracks. It's starting to show, uh, especially to your friends, to your family. Uh, But yet you put on a brave face. You say everything is fine. And maybe you're even doing some of the things that you've never done before. And you say to yourself, no, I just need this little whatever it is to get me through the night. I need to sleep tonight. Um, I need this. And you can fill in the blanks to get me through the day. Like I said out front, everything looks fine, everything looks presentable, but underneath there's a real franticness, a real um, despair even in your heart. And the antidote, what is the antidote? Um, The Bible says actually the antidote is Jesus, is in an encounter with Jesus. Now that sounds so up in the sky like you cannot believe. When I heard that for the first time, I almost laughed. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you really want an antidote to, or you want to have life, Jesus says, come to me. Our series, the next in August, is called Encounters with Jesus. And us, the the preachers, our aim is to help you see Jesus face to face. uh, To see Jesus' heart for you. Um, You might be an old Christian. And you might have seen Jesus, and you might walk with Jesus for a long time. It's a good time for us to encounter him again, and to be reminded afresh. Um, If you never have known Jesus, it's a great opportunity for you to meet him. To have an encounter with Jesus, because what he offers us is actually mind-blowing. And then, that beautiful words that Jesus speaks, he says, I'll never, if you come to me, I'll never let you go. I will never let you go. So let me call you to walk with us this month of August on this journey where we're going to encounter Jesus. 
um, and we're going to see him face to face. We're going to look at the Gospel of John today. And in there, John says to us, I've written my Gospel because in it you'll find encounters with Jesus. And he calls it signs. And when you see those signs, John says, when you see those signs, you will see who Jesus is. And when you then go to him, you'll have life in his name. So maybe uh, today is a good day for us to just calm our hearts, um, to forget about a little bit about what's happening outside uh, and have that encounter with Jesus. And I'm going to ask God to help us by praying. So let's just sit as you are. Let's calm our hearts and let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it we can meet you face to face, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And help us to see who he is so that we can go to him and find that life, that beautiful promise of life. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Good. We are in the Gospel of John. And like I said, John says in his gospel at the end, he says he's recorded signs. Now these signs are just things that Jesus did, and they like signboards. You know those signboards that says which way is Joburg? That signboard isn't Joburg, by the way. That sign only points you to where Joburg is, okay? So these signs are not Jesus, they point us to who he is. Some of our signboards tell us a little bit about Joburg, for instance, will tell us where, whatever, and Joburg North, Joburg South, whatever, whatever. These signs are like that. It doesn't tell us everything about Jesus, but it tells us enough. It actually tells us a lot about Jesus. But the point is, if you want to go to Joburg, you have to follow the sign. You have to point your car in that direction, don't you? You have to put your foot on the gas and go. The sign points left. You must go. If you don't go, you'll never find Joburg. And so, are, so it is with these signs that we're going to see in the gospel. Um, John says, he writes them, and he says, I want you to see, and then I want you to go. Because if you go, there's life there. We're going to look at two signs uh, in the Gospels. They're one after the other, and then we're going to see two kind of blind spots that we have uh, in life. The first sign is there in John chapter 6, uh, verse 1 to verse 15. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to take you on a journey and we're going to see through the eyes of my, let's call it my imaginary friend. And he was there. Now I want you to imagine a, a, a young, young adult, young teenager. Uh, he grew up, he's in the town of Capernaum. He grew, he grew up in that area. And he's at that age we're starting to ask difficult questions um, of life. He's realizing life is hard. Um, and especially for him as an Israelite young man, knowing the promises of God and that we are the people of God, but yet in reality, his day-to-day experience is that the Romans are ruling them. This last month has been preparation for Passover, Passover is the great time in Israel. It's, it's really when the people of Israel look back at the history with great pride. This last month, um, you've been learning about God's rescue of your people out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. God rescued them. 
You're leading up to sacrifice that lamb, the sacrificial lamb that reminded you of the blood on the doorpost where the firstborn Egyptians died and your firstborns didn't die. You're remembering the time when God took Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground supernaturally. And you're also remembering how God provided for the nation of Israel in that land for 40 years, that manna. It is such a great time. It's such a big time in your history. It's actually probably one of the biggest or the biggest event in Israel. If you want to ask Israelite who he is, he would say to you, we are the people of God who have been rescued from Egypt. They are defined by that event. We are the people of God because of what God did for us. But in reality, his everyday life is full of suffering because of the Roman rule that's over them. He, he would probably more describe his life as slavery um, under the Romans. Now, he's old enough to notice the people around him, the other uh, uh, Israelites grumbling and saying the same thing. Uh, it comes out quite prominently at this time of Passover because it's such an important time in their lives. And so it's quite realistic to think that this young man will have quite a bit of doubt in his mind. Does God really care for us? Does he really bless us? Has he really blessed us? That fear, that doubt, that fear could lead to despair. What does my future hold in this town, this land, with these Romans ruling us? Are we truly blessed by God? Do we really have life? Now, you can imagine this guy would doubt those things. He can even go as far as doubting the fact that God did that in the first place. Maybe it's just stories that my parents made up. Now, on top of all of this, in the last few, let's say, months, there's a great stirring in your town, in your community. There's rumors that God has raised up another prophet. Now, God has been silent for 400 years. Since Malachi died, God has not sent a prophet into your nation. But there's rumors that there is a new prophet. And the people say his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, people don't know what to make of this guy. But his disciples came through your town just the other day, and they did the most extraordinary things. Today, you and your family are on your way to meet him. Today, you and your family are starting on the one side of the lake and you're walking around to the other side of the lake, this lake that you grew up in, this lake that you fish in, because on the other side, people are saying that's where Jesus is going to be today. So you go. But you remember your dad telling you that that side is quite a desolate place. It's quite a wild place. There's no people there. There's no food there. It's it's. It's more described like a little wilderness. It's, there's nothing there. And so like a normal teenager, after walking for about five steps, what comes to his mind? Especially a boy. I am hungry. Yes, I am hungry. <laughs> so he turns to his mother and he says to his mother, Mom, is there any food here for us? And his mom says, I'm sorry, I was so excited this morning we left. And I didn't pack any lunch. And you kind of have that grumpy smile on his face. But anyway, as he was walking around the lake, 
thinking about the Passover, thinking about what he's been learning, he kind of noticed something very interesting. He says, on his one side, you have this desert, desert wilderness area. On the other side, there's this, the lake. They must have walked next to the lake. And he started making the connections. He thought to himself, oh my goodness, that was probably what it was like to the nation, for the nation of forefathers. When they came out of Egypt, God brought them through the desert to the foot of the sea. And there was this red sea in front of them. There's a desert behind them. And they were hungry, just like me. I'm hungry. <laughs> so he's got this visual illustration of the desert, the sea, and his hunger. And he thought, ah, oh, my goodness. My people were caught between the desert and the big blue sea. And he kind of smiled at himself for making that thing up. <laughs> then later on, they got around the lake to the other side. And they found Jesus, but so did about 5,000 men, as the Bible tells us. There's a lot of people there. They were all sitting, Jesus was sitting on a little hill. The people were sitting on the grass or standing around, whatever, and Jesus was teaching him. And he woke up and he started listening to Jesus. He forgot a little bit about his hunger because Jesus spoke like no one ever before. You've never heard anything like that before. But it took a a little while, and then the hunger pains kicked in again. But so did the hunger pains for everybody else. Everybody started getting hungry. Now, a family friend of yours you knew was one of Jesus' followers. Jesus calls him a disciple. His name is Andrew. And Andrew was walking around the crowd. You're noticing Andrew walking around the crowd, talking to the people. You're wondering, what on earth is Andrew doing? As Andrew came to you and your family, he said, guys, do you have any food for me? And he said to Andrew, did you also forget your food at home? No, Andrew says, no. No, Jesus actually sent us to ask you guys for food so we can feed everybody. I'm collecting food from everybody so I can feed all the people. And you thought, that's not a bad idea. Until you saw what they found. They found five small little loaves and two little salty fish. And when you saw that, you just kind of shook it and sneered and laughed and said, that will not even feed me. What a joke. Anyway, Jesus made the people sit down, and he probably made them sit down in their family groups. So you sat with your family and your extended family and your neighbors with the extended family were sitting there and blah, blah, blah. Everybody's sitting on the grass. And then as you were sitting, you could actually clearly see Jesus. He stood up. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He prayed. And then he started breaking the bread and the fish. And then you notice the most extraordinary thing. Andrew came with a basket in his hand, and he brought you guys food. And you thought, wow, we must be special. All these people, we get food. Because how far can five loaves really go? And you took some and you ate some. And as you looked around, you realized, oh, no, everybody is eating. Everybody's eating. But you're a teenager, you're hungry, you don't really care, you tuck into the food. As you guys finish, as you start finishing food, you realize you look to yourself and you went, how did everybody get all this food? I can't believe it. My stomach is full. I can tell you I've eaten, but my eyes tell me this is impossible. Who is this guy that can take nothing and feed us all. 
On that day, he truly rescued us. We needed this food. So a different kind of hunger pain come, came up into your, in your, not this time not in your stomach, but the hunger pain went to your heart. It was deep. And it's got something to do with this guy, Jesus. I saw everything he did, the sign he did, but I simply could not believe my eyes. Who is he? How can you feed all of this from nothing? Now, like a good young Jewish boy, pondering what is happening, remembering the Passover, remembering what he read in his Bible, his mother and his father taught him, it hit him like a ton of bricks. He remembered Moses' words. And Moses said that God will one day send someone just like him to rescue Israel just like he did. Or just like God did through him. And his name would be Messiah, son of God. So the young man saw Jesus, saw what he did. He remembered those words of Moses and he started making the connection. But he still didn't believe. He saw with his own eyes, but he still didn't believe. How can Jesus be the promised prophet, the promised Messiah? How is that possible? He's just a man. Look at him. He looks like you and me. And he's from Nazareth, of all places. This whole event made him even hungry, even more hungry. He saw, and the doubt in his mind actually became pain. Because who is this guy? Now John tells us, he wrote this, this happened, so that back then and today, we can see, see with our own eyes who is Jesus. Make that connection. Make the connection that back then, in the Passover, God brought Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he literally fed them from nothing. The manna and the quail came literally from nowhere, from nothing. It's literally the description of the Bible. And now, God is doing exactly the same thing, but he's doing it through me. That's what Jesus wanted the people to see. We know this because the very next day, Jesus said these words. If you have your Bible, John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. God fed Israel in the desert. He's doing the same thing there that day through Jesus. Only difference is Jesus is doing it now. And Jesus says he's the one who comes to give life to the world. God rescues, Jesus rescues to bring life to the world. So John wants us to see this most amazing fulfillment of that promise that God made. One day I will send my Messiah and he will come and rescue him. And Jesus says, I am that Messiah. I am the one who came 
to rescue you and give you life. So John wants us to see. He doesn't want us to miss. He wants us to see, but like that sign, he calls us then to go to Jesus, to get that bread from Jesus. Otherwise, there's no life. So I hope you guys are quite hungry, because I want to see more. And that's why John recorded for us the second sign, right after it happened in that order. The second sign is recorded there for us from verse 16 to 21 of chapter 6. And it happens right after the first feeding of the 5,000. As evening came, Jesus puts his disciples in the boat. He sends them off to Capernaum by themselves. He stays behind. The sea gets rough. Bible says they're straining at the oars. They, remember, they're seasoned fishermen. But then the Bible tells us the disciples were petrified But why Jesus came and said and did. Jesus comes in the middle of the night, walking towards them on the water. He introduces himself to them, and then he immediately takes them safely across to the other side. Are you making the connection? Do you know where this one fits in? Let me help you. Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's a connection to Jesus, God feeding the, the Israelites in the desert. Now we have the disciples with water in danger. Jesus supernaturally rescues them, takes them safely to the other side. Obviously, it takes us to God taking us, rescuing Israel supernaturally through the Red Sea, isn't it? On dry land. Again, we have exactly the same sign pointing to exactly the same thing. Jesus supernaturally does what God did back then. But what petrifies the disciples and what we need to see and which should blow our minds, this is what Jesus did, walking on the water supernaturally. It's what he said that should blow our minds. Have a look what Jesus says to the disciples. As he comes, he walks towards them. They are petrified. He says to them, stop being afraid. It is I. Or better translated, stop your fear, I am with you. What's that I am? Well, you have to go back all the way to the beginning of the Exodus, beginning of this Passover story, when God called Moses, remember, at the burning bush? God tells him to go and rescue Israel. Moses is petrified, oh, how am I going to rescue these people? All sorts of excuses, his final excuses. Um, if they ask me, who are you, what must I say to the people? And God literally tells Moses, stop being afraid, I am with you. Tell the people, I am, have sent you. Jesus now, coming up to his disciples, says exactly the same thing. Stop being afraid, I am with you. Who is Jesus saying to us he is other than the great I am? That should blow our minds. That man calling himself God, the great I am, the creator of life, the sustainer of life. No wonder he can say, I can give you life. 
John wants us to look. He wants us to see. He, wasn't, he doesn't want us to miss those two signs. Jesus is clear. This is who I am. I'm the promised rescuer, the Messiah. I am the great creator of life, God in the flesh, the great I am. And we need to go to him. If we don't, there's no life. And John can't be clearer. There are two kind of blind spots that we have that we see in this passage. Two kind of wrong responses to Jesus. And we see both of them in the crowds. The crowds have these great responses to Jesus. Now, that young man that we looked at, um, he's a typical average Israelite. And what did they want God to do for them? They, they wanted the Messiah to come. They were looking forward to the Messiah to come. But what did they want the Messiah to do for them? And we see that there in verse 14, or verse 15, where after Jesus did all these miraculous signs, they wanted to make Jesus king by force. Again there in verse 26, Jesus puts his finger on their blindness and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw my signs, but because you ate your full of loaves. Now you can understand their blindness. Jesus has done the most amazing miracles amongst them. He's now in front of them fed so many people from nothing. You can imagine saying, they saying to themselves, what do you think can he do with a sword? If he can do that with nothing, with two breads and five, whatever, five loaves and two fish, what do you think he can do with a sword? Just imagine what he can do to the Romans. He can truly bless us again by doing for us what we want him to do for us. Can you see? They wanted Jesus to fill them again, to feed them again, to rescue them again. But their kind of food and their kind of rescue. In the same way we do that, exactly the same thing today. We want the life that Jesus offers us but it's kind of the life that we want. We kind of define what life is. And, and we don't use these words, but we actually want to, Jesus to give us heaven on earth. At the extreme end of that, we, we want wealth, health, and whatever else you can put into that sentence. Now, we want Jesus to give us these things. Now, in a sense, we, we do pray for God to help us when we struggle with health, and we do pray and ask God to help us with our business and success in school. How many Springboks prayed, and then, thank goodness, we won. But is that what Jesus really came to offer us? Is he want to offer us just those things? Think how fleeting they are. Your health will end in death. I'm sorry to say that, but we will all die one day. Your wealth will only last until you spent it all. It will not last forever. Jesus is offering us so much more. That blindness is wanting Jesus to bless us, but the blessings you want from Jesus is like, you can't even see it as so small. It is minute compared to what he offers us. Life, life eternal. 
He puts it like this in verse 27. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus wants us to stop thinking and running after food that perishes. Even though he gives us what we ask, he provides. Even the Lord's prayers about, Lord, provide us our daily bread, which is a good thing. But he says, well, if you come to me, the life I'm offering you is so much bigger, so much fuller. He calls it eternal life. And John wants us to see that. So that's the one blindness. We settle for the small blessings, literally the minute blessings. The second one is there in verse 28. Verse 28, it's the, 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 the crowd asks him, okay, we want this blessing, we want this life, but what can we do to get it? The second blindness is thinking that you can actually do something to get your life. Think about the crowd. Think about the disciples. The whole idea of that whole situation was desperate lostness, desperate need of food. Jesus gives it. But here the blindness is, okay, what can we do again? The idea here is like this Titanic sinking. Think about the Titanic sinking and the people in the ground and then the, ach, in the ground, in the water. And then the rescue ship comes and what do you do? No, I'm all right. I can make it to the other side. Oh, no, 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 I'm busy. I, I can rescue myself. I can swim across whatever the Atlantic is. You know, I don't need this rescue ship. That's the picture here that we get. Jesus comes and offers them life, and they say, no, no, we're all right. We can get there. We can do it. And, and that kind of lostness, that kind of blindness, uh, is just desperate in our world. Jesus sees that in us, and, and probably one of the best places where we think we can find rescue and, and, and provide that whatever our soul needs is on social media, on the network, social media. You just have to, you know, the one thing after the other, we run through the next thing and the next thing. What do we think? Why? Because we want to get something there. We want to get fullness, fullness this life, the thing that we're craving. And what happens? You finish the one and the next one comes and you run after the next one. It's like a blind race. And Jesus' heart bleeds for us. You see his heart there at the end when he sees these people and he says to him, listen, hear these beautiful words in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the promised rescuer. I am God in the flesh. I am the one who can give true life to you. Come to me. The food I offer you isn't just food for your stomach for today, even though I provide that also. I want you to get this food that lasts forever. That spiritual hunger in each one of us, that raging pain in each one of us, Jesus says, come to me and I will satisfy your needs. But you need to come. And then he says those beautiful words, whoever comes, I will never cast you away. So the best illustration of our blindness uh, 
I read in a book, and I kind of tweaked it a little bit, is a two-year-old, two-year-old blindness, taking his father or her father for a swim in the sea. You know how it works? Come, Dad. Does two-year-old speak, by the way? Do they speak? Yeah. Come. Can't remember. The two-year-old grabs Dad's finger or hand and off in front into the sea. But it's not long before the father is actually holding the two-year-old's hand. The two-year-old's not handling the father's hand. The two-year-old is in the scene of whatever, the feet are going backwards and forward. But it's the father holding onto the two-year-old that holds the two-year-old's head above water. Isn't it? It's not the two-year-old that holding himself above water. That's the picture here in the Bible that we get. Jesus says, come to me. The storms of life are going to come. Our feet are going to go... But he's the one who keeps our heads above water. And we are blind if we think we are the ones keeping our heads above water. Jesus says, look at those signs. Look at who they are pointing to. They're pointing to me. I am your promised rescuer. And later on we'll see at the cross how he did that. I am God in the flesh. And later on we see at the cross how God himself is the only one who can pay for our, our, our sins. He says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never go hungry. I will never cast you away. So that beautiful words, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help us see who he is and help us to go to him. Because that's the only place we find life, the full life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you didn't leave us by ourselves, but you spoke to us and it's recorded in your word. And you introduce yourself to us here in John's gospel as the great I am, the bread of life. Help us see that, Lord Jesus. Help us see who you are. But then, help us go to you. Help us believe and trust that you can do what you say you do, Lord. Because we desperately need that life. Help us to go to you and ask you to rescue us. Because without you, Lord, there is just no hope. This world is just one thing after the other. But with you, there is life. Because you are the bread of life. Amen.